Well, good morning, church. It's my privilege to be with you all today and my privilege to preach God's Word. This is one of those Sundays that I consider to be kind of bittersweet. Sweet because I get to teach you God's Word again and somewhat bitter because we're coming to the end of our series, Preaching the Kingdom, which as you know is a series where we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount the most powerful sermon ever delivered and preached by the living word himself, Jesus Christ. This series has been life-changing for many of us, and today as we conclude this series, this will be the 20th message of the series, which we began on the 20th of March this year, 2022. There's quite a few 20s going on there. Maybe there's a significance in the number 20, I don't know. <laughs> And church, who would have thought that we would spend 20 weeks going through three chapters of the Bible? But that just shows us the richness of Scripture and the depth of love that God has for us by going to such detail to instruct us how to live with kingdom principles, disciplines, character traits, values, love, and influence. And the portion of Scripture we're going to cover today is in Matthew chapter 7 from verses 24 to 29, if you'd like to go there in your Bibles, Matthew 7 from 24 to 29, and the title for today's, today's message is A Life Built on the Rock. You can take that scripture down for now. A Life Built on the Rock. So church, just by show of hands, how many of you have ever done renovations before in your home? That's quite a few of us, right? And if you've done a major and complete renovation, you would know that it includes partial demolition, like breaking down of walls, removal of old ceilings, old windows, old fixtures, etc., etc. And at the, at the end of the demolition process, you have a big pile of rubble that seems to be bigger than the house itself, right? So there's lots of frustration when you're going through this process, it's very messy. But once you start the renovating and putting back the new fixtures and new carpets, new plaster and new paint, and perhaps even a new garden, all of the frustration of the renovation process is worth it. Once you have the finished product, you'll quickly forget what you went through while you were living in a guest house or while you were living in one of the bedrooms of the house that you were renovating. Has anyone been there before? Do you know, church, what really gets under my skin? is when you've done all this work and everything looks fine, until a few months later, there are cracks that start developing on the very same walls that you just recently plastered and painted. And yes, if you have a reliable contractor, they will come back and fix the plaster and redo the job and everything's fine. But have you ever redone a wall but the problem keeps on coming back? You redo the wall, but a few months later, the crack comes back with his nieces, nephews, uncles, aunts, and cousins. And to you, it's just a, you know, a couple of cracks on the wall, but there's something deeper at play. The cracks are merely symptoms of something much deeper. And what's the real issue here? It's a foundational issue. Your problem is that you have a foundation that is shifting because it was set incorrectly in the first place. And if you don't stabilize that foundation, you will forever be doing patchwork on the cracks on your wall. 
Church today, in every direction that you look, in every place where you live, the cracks, there are cracks on the wall. You're seeing cracks in our culture, cracks in our relationships, cracks in our families, cracks in our governments. And a lot of time and energy has been spent to patch the cracks, but it's having little if no effect. Right now, people's lives are in disarray, families are displaced, there's division racially and culturally. These cracks are appearing everywhere, and no matter how many seminars, programs, or support systems there are, these cracks just keep on resurfacing, they just keep on coming back. So the question that we must answer today is this. What is the foundation that we must set or must be fixed, church, so that we don't have to keep on doing patchwork on the cracks that we find in our lives and in this world? That's the question that we must answer today. And that's why I want to call your attention to this last part of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's read it together from verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Now, a couple of quick observations to note here is that both builders wanted to build a house. They both had the same dream of building something worthwhile and something that would stand firm. And a house in Scripture can refer to a number of things, church, but in this passage, it refers to building a life. He's talking about two men who wanted to build their lives because, let's be honest, nobody wants a failed life. Nobody wants to live a life of defeat. No one wants to live a life of destruction. Both these men wanted to build a life of significance and substance. The second thing that these two men had in common is that they both went to Bible-believing and Bible-teaching churches. How do I know this? Because the story says that both these men heard the words of Jesus. And if Jesus is the preacher, let me tell you, it's a Bible-teaching church. In fact, it is the number one Bible-teaching church because you've got the author of the Bible doing the preaching. Right, so we're not talking about a pagan and a Christian here. We're talking about two churchgoers that received the very same truth from Jesus. The third thing these two men had in common is that they both had the assurance of facing a storm. A storm in the Bible, by the way, refers to trouble, to tribulation, challenges, difficulties, or trials. That's what storms are used. That's how storms are used in Scripture. And as I said, both men had the assurance of facing a storm. Because, church, it's been said that you're either in a storm, you've just come out of a storm, or you are getting ready to enter a storm. 
Because as much as I'd like to tell you today that if you believe in Jesus, it will never rain, that's just not true. You are going to have trouble. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You will have storms. And it's not that you go looking for the storms. You just have to be alive and storms will find you. So they both had a dream to build a house. They were both exposed to the same truth under Jesus. And they both had struggles in life because they were both facing a storm. However, church, while both men had things in common, they were completely different. Because the Bible says the first man was called a wise man and the second man was called a fool. And what does that tell us? It tells us that a wise man can have a dream and a fool can have a dream. It shows us that a wise man can listen to Jesus and a fool can listen to Jesus. And it tells us that a wise man will enter a storm and that a fool will enter a storm. So while these men had things in common, they had a major character difference. Now, church, importantly, in the Bible, to be wise is the ability to apply spiritual truth to life's realities. Wisdom is your and my ability to apply spiritual truth to life's decisions. And a fool, by the way, has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not a person has a number of degrees or whether they have a BA or an MBA or a PhD, right? It is absolutely irrelevant to the biblical definition of a fool. A fool in the Bible is the inability or the refusal to apply spiritual truth to life's decisions. Because you see, wisdom goes beyond information. It has to do with decision-making. So... What made one wise and one a fool? It had to do with their foundation. It says that the wise man built his house, his life, and I would add his family, his ministry, his involvement in society on a rock. But it says the fool built his house, his life, his family, his ministry, his community engagement on sand. And just a quick question for you. When you're building a house, do you start with the windows and the doors and the bricks? Is that where you start? That's not where you start, right? You first lay a foundation because everything else you build is dependent upon that foundation that you lay. And these two men, though they had certain things in common, they built their lives on, on, on two completely different foundations. Now, if you're going to build on rock, that's going to take some, some effort from you, isn't it? If you build on rock, sometimes you might have to drill into the rock, or you may even have to bring in a demolition expert to blast the rock to a certain level. And it's quite an expensive process, so it's going to cost you something. If you're going to build on sand, you can do that overnight. There's no work required before you start, so it's not going to cost you anything. Jesus says one was wise and one was a fool because of the place that they started. One started on rock, one started on sand, 
One started on a solid foundation and one started on a foundation that was, that was very unstable. You know, church, before myself and, and Pastor Renal were called into full-time ministry, I was involved in the demolition industry. And we used to demolish and sometimes implode structures that were in excess of 60 to 70 meters in height. We would use explosives for these bigger concrete structures and they were so big sometimes that they, they looked like skyscrapers. And it would be quite a nerve-wracking process because you're dealing with explosives, right? You had to cordon off the area for two, three, sometimes to kilometer in a circumference. People have to evacuate buildings and homes. You have to get the police involved, the, the blasting inspector involved. So it's quite a nerve-wracking process, but also spectacular as you saw these gigantic structures fall into the ground. But we knew that bringing the structures down was just the beginning of the demolition process because the higher the structure, the deeper the foundations were. Why? Because you can never use a single-story foundation to hold those massive structures. And you see, church, a lot of people want skyscraper lives. They want skyscraper families. They want skyscraper ministries and skyscraper influence while resting on single-story foundations. They want to see their lives go way up there when there's nothing to hold it down here. You see, you have to start in the right place. You have to start on the right foundation. Church, we're living in a day when the Word of God is not where people start. They throw it in later when it comes to windows and doors and ceilings, but not at the foundation level. Because the foundation is always where you start. When people want to address issues in their lives, they will often start with their education. They will start with their opinions. They will start with how they were raised or, or what they, with what their friends say. They will start there and maybe later on, then they will sprinkle some Jesus on it. Right? But it's not where they started and the foundation is always where you start. What's interesting with these two men referred to in this passage is that where they started had nothing to do with biblical knowledge. Both were in church, both heard the sayings of Jesus as he preached the greatest sermon ever delivered. So biblical information was not the problem. Information was not the problem, which means that you can, you can attend a Bible teaching and believe in church and still be building on the wrong foundation. You see, the difference here was not an informational difference. Church, this is important. The difference was that the wise man acted on Jesus' words and the fool did not. It wasn't knowledge that was the problem. It was acting on the information that the, the distinguished the wise man from the foolish man. And the problem that we have today, church, even among some professing Christians, is that the Bible is not where we start to do our action. Yes, it may be where we start to get information, but it is not where we start to implement our action. And as a result, we are full of churches made up of foolish people who listen to the words of Jesus and still build a house on sand. One of the reasons that issues are not being addressed in our personal lives, in our families, in our churches, and by believers in society 
is because acting on God's word is not our first concern, just listening to it is. We listen to our, you know, our Christian playlists, we watch Christian television, we listen to sermons on YouTube, we listen to podcasts, we'll go to Bible teaching churches and say amen to the truth. We'll even carry the Bible under our arms and still not see things change. In Scripture, you will see time and time and time again where God tells people what they must do first before He does anything. He says to Moses, hold out your rod, and then what happens? The Red Sea parts. He tells Joshua to tell the priest to put their feet in the Jordan River, and then what happens? The waters separate. He tells Mary, move the stone, then Lazarus is brought forth. It waits on action so that we're not talking by faith, but we are walking by faith. And you see, church, it is the absence of acting on the word that keeps the word from being powerful in our experience, even when we are saying amen to the truth. And one of the reasons we're seeing so much defeat in our lives, in our marriages, where the divorce rate is as high among Christians as it is among non-Christians, is because we don't start with God. We start with man and then invite God into it. You know, we can be so divided as people when it comes to issues like race or political differences or human rights, but the problem is we're not starting with God. Instead, we bring in all of our own experiences and influences and preferences and then act from there. And church, the solution to what we're seeing in here, referring to the church and out there, all the cracks that we're seeing is by starting with what God says on every subject. It must be the foundation of the discussion and everything else has to be brought into alignment with that. And when we do that, and when that happens, God begins to now build a house, a life, a family, a ministry, and even a society. You know, I'm sure you will agree with me, today in our culture, we're seeing the total dismissal of God in every part of society. But may I say that I think that many churches and many Christians have become co-conspirators? I mean, how can we have all these churches in all these locations with all these preachers and all these members and all these buildings and all these programs and still have all this mess? Can I tell you why? Because we will proclaim a word that we do not act on. And you know what Jesus says about this? He says in Mark chapter 7 verse 13, you nullify the authority of the word of God, acting as if it did not apply because of your tradition which you have handed down through the elders. And you do many things such as that. In other words, because you hold on to how you were raised, because of your history and your background and your preferences and your familiarity, the Word of God has become of no effect. Let me give you an illustration. When we eat a, a fruit like an apple, for example, we know that it is a healthy and nutritious snack, right? That's where you get the, the saying with an apple, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. So it means that it's nutritious and healthy. 
But if you dip that apple into liquid sugar, right, and make it a toffee apple, what happens? That apple is now of absolutely no nutritional value to you, even though you'd like to think it is. Because you've canceled out its benefit by the sugar that you dipped it in. It's like having a double steer burger with chips and having a Coke light. I've done that before as well. But it doesn't actually do anything, you know. No nutritional value there. At church, what a lot of Christians do is they come to church and they hear the pure nutritional truth of the Word of God and then they leave it and dip it in human opinion. They dip it in how I was raised. They dip it in what popular culture says. They dip it in what my friends say. They dip it in what I would prefer to do and wind up canceling all of its nutritional value. Because whenever human wisdom is stirred in with the Word of God, the Word of God is made of no effect. This is what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 7. Whenever our actions do not reflect the truth of the Word of God that we amen, then we wind up as Christians who believe in the Word but nothing changes. Jesus says, both men heard these sayings of mine, but only one acted upon it. Because you see, church, until there's movement from Christians, the Bible remains in the Bible. The Bible has no power until Christians now take that into action. Are you guys okay? Very quiet today. Here's where it starts to get a, a very interesting. It did not become apparent who the wise man was and who the fool was until the storm came. Because you see, as long as it wasn't raining, both houses looked good. And if I could add a few other analogies, as long as it wasn't raining, both families looked good. As long as it wasn't raining, both ministries looked solid. As long as it wasn't raining, the nation seemed to be on track, but when the storm came, it revealed who had what. You know, church, in terms of foundation, storms are a very important part of God's plan for your life. And the reason why storms or negative circumstances or trials are very important is because they are designed to reveal your and my foundation. Because when everything is fine, everything is going well, right? There's no concerns in life. You may think that you are building on your foundation, you've got a foundation on rock, but you're actually on slippery sand. And so what the storm is allowed to do is to let you see what your foundation is like. God already knows what you're dealing with, what your foundation is like, but the storm is going to show you. In Mark chapter 4, we, we all love the story. Jesus is preaching on the shore of Galilee, and he tells his disciples at the end of chapter 4, he says to, him, says to them, let us cross over to the other side. Right? And what happens when they cross over to the other side? A terrible storm arose. It says in verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. And in the middle of their fear, you know, you can imagine how they were so troubled. Looked like the, storm, the, the, the boat was going to be capsized. Where was Jesus? He was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and it says, they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I mean, what good is a Savior that sleeps on you when you're in a storm? 
They're in a storm and, and Jesus is fast asleep. And church, have you ever noticed when you're going through a struggle, God seems nowhere to be located? Have you ever noticed when you're going through some of your deepest fears, heaven seems to have gone silent on you? Has it ever felt to you like God is way off in the distance when you need him the most? They had to arouse Jesus to awaken him, and when he was awake, they asked him, Lord, they asked the question that we all have if the storm is deep enough. Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? How can you sleep when we are crying out in such a desperate situation? Where are you, Jesus? Jesus asked a very interesting question. He says in verse 40, Why are you so fearful, and how is it that you have no faith? That's an interesting question because they're probably thinking, Well, Jesus, we're so fearful because it looks like we're going to die here. Jesus, where are you? Do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus just says, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Because I told you before we ever left, let us cross over to the other side. Before they left, I'm sure they said, amen, Jesus, let's go to the other side. Here we go. But if they really believed what Jesus had said when the storm came, they would have grabbed the pillow too and gone to sleep. In other words, church, they heard these sayings of Jesus, but they didn't act on it. When the storm came, they forgot about the words of Jesus and went back to what they knew. They went back to their unbelief. And church, just to be clear, being a Christian does not mean that storms do not come. It means that we act on God's truth as the foundation of our lives, our families, our ministries and culture so that when the storm comes it affects us differently it says in verse 27 of Matthew 7 and the rain descended the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall and church, when it says that the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on both houses, this is not referring to some minor incident. This is referring to a major interruption in your life. This is something that happens in your life that turns your life upside down. But it says that when this major disruption came, the wise man's house stood, but the, the fool's house fell greatly. Why? Because the storm reveals what you're rooted in and what kind of foundation you're on. The storm is designed for you to see where you stand. Now, something important to note here, church, is that you can't fix the foundation in the middle of a storm. You can pour it before a storm, you can repair it after a storm, but you can't repair it in a storm. What a lot of Christians want is for God to do something in the middle of it. They say, Jesus, why do you not care that we are perishing? But God is saying, no, I'm showing you what you need to pause so that when you come through this, you can fix this foundation. Does that make sense? Or even a better building plan, church, is for you to pour the foundation now so that when the storm comes, you are already firmly planted Knowing what God says and making it your point of action 
which then brings divine response. And let me tell you something, church, there is a biblical answer for every issue in your life. Whether it's in your life personally, your family, in your ministry, and in the culture. And there are two answers to every question, by the way. There's God's answer and everybody else's. And everybody else is wrong when they disagree with God's answer. So there's a biblical answer for every situation in your life, but until it is acted on, it remains in the Bible only. Until it is acted on, church, it has no power in your life, and it won't save the marriage, it won't heal the relationship, it won't cure the addiction, and it won't bring unity among Christians and across racial, class, and cultural lines. It just doesn't work, even though we give it high position in our lives. And the real challenge of the church today isn't just turning back to the inerrant Word of God, but returning to it as the foundation of decision-making. Because only then is its power unleashed, only then is its power revealed. So my challenge to the, the church of Jesus Christ today as we conclude these sayings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, is that to build a life on the rock means to build a life where the Word of God and our acting on it become the standard for whatever house we're building. Whether it's the house of your life, the house of your family, the house of the church, or even how you participate in building the house of a culture, if we build a life as Christians where the Word of God and our acting on it become the standard, we will live a Christian life with kingdom power, kingdom impact, and kingdom influence. And guess what? When the storms come, we'll be able to pull out that pillow and rest easy in the one who said, let us cross over to the other side. His name is Jesus. Can we receive that word this morning, church? Can we thank the Lord for his word?